Okay, let me pray for us. <coughs> Our Lord, you are holy, God. Father, I pray now that you would come and speak through Jethro. I pray, Lord, that everything of Jethro would now get out the way. And that, holy God, you would come and speak and you would come and show us what it is that you want us to see this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not going to steal Jethro's thunder, so I've double-checked what it is that he wants to share. But, I, but God drew me to, to Isaiah 6, and a lot of us will know Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah sees the Lord. But there, there's something here where, where it talks about the angels, and it says, um, Attending him were mighty seraphim. And then it says, they were calling out to each other. And there's that sense that I've always looked at as like the, 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 the vision of, of God and, and the angels before the Lord, before His throne, calling out to the Lord, saying, holy, holy, holy. But in a sense, in this passage, he, he writes and he says, they were calling out to each other. And, and I just felt this, this sense this morning as, as Jethro shares, this message was supposed to be shared, I think, like two months ago. And But God has called this morning as a specific time that He wants to share this message. And I felt the sense during worship of we need to be calling out to each other, holy is God, to be, to be saying to encouraging each other, how holy is God, how awesome is God. And what comes out of this passage is out of that proclamation, Isaiah says, but I'm a man of unclean lips. And then God meets with him through the angels and, and cleanses him. And then God says, who shall I send? And Isaiah says out of that place, send me. And I felt this sense this morning as, 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 as Jethro shares about the holiness of God. This is not just so we can be like, oh, yeah, that's nice. It's good to know that God is holy. But there's a sense of God has set us up this morning that as we see him properly, each of us will call out to each other and say, send me. I need to go. And, and Jonathan Conrath has just been to equip us to go. And there's a sense of God is saying, now I'm going to equip you for the going, to go out. And, and so I want you to hear this. Don't hear this just of, yes, I know about the holiness of God. I've heard this, this sermon before. But be like, God, can you wreck me the way you wrecked Isaiah? Can you, can you show me that you want to send me? Can you help me to see you truly? And when I see you, how can I not go? Amen. So it's actually so funny because I didn't, this message has changed so much and I didn't tell Ian um, what I'm going to share today and that was just a confirmation and I'm just so grateful that you, that you shared that because it is very like, you know, you can hear the holiness of God and it can be this thing of God is so like good and I'm not and you know, if I had to ask you, what is a definition of holy, like the word holy? Man, I know we can think of like those holy men, those people that like sit in a monastery, like dressed in white and they don't eat anything and they no, don't speak to people and they just kind of disappear out of existence, you know, like that idea of holy or someone that is just perfect and you know, good in everything that they do. But the Bible tells us that is one portion, like moral, morally good and moral perfection. But there is so much more. 
And the, mor- the moral side of it is actually, I don't even want to talk about that today. I actually just want to talk about the rest. Um, and it's something that is so incredible that my prayer has been in the prep for this, that if you catch this, it will change your life forever. Like, after getting saved, like the pursuit of God and the holiness of God will change you. You won't be the same Christian anymore. And uh, yeah, so, okay, the, the title of this message was, is the pursuit of God, the pursuit of holiness. And before we get into it, I was um, going to do something which is like a, it's a very cliche, and I'm, sh- I'm socially shooting myself in the foot by doing this. Um, but yeah, the queen passed away this, this week. And if you hadn't heard, if you, if you, yeah, if you haven't heard and be, I'm doing this just for you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we had a whole joke on, um, I don't even know when it was. We went for dinner to Matimba's house and, and I was like in the car, like um, on the way there, like, yeah, so you guys know the queen passed away and B starts canning herself. She starts laughing and, and it's a bit like, why are you laughing? And it's like the whole day people have been like, you know, the queen's dead. The queen's passed away. And the way that I found out is the way that most of us find news out these days is on Facebook. I found it on Facebook. And um, there was all these posts, you know, like, the queen is dead. And, you know, the queen is a Christian. She's in glory with the Lord now. And so we were chatting. And I was thinking of this. I was like, you know what? The queen had such a weird life. Um, but to her, it wasn't weird. Like, as, old, as probably as long as she could remember she couldn't go anywhere that other people go. Like, if she had to go to the pick and pay, I just want you to think of, like, that. Like, imagine the Queen of England going to the pick and pay. It would be a whole cadenza. It would be, like, everything, like, they would shut the pick and pay down. There would be helicopters flying in with reporters to say, the Queen has landed, she's going to the pick and pay, you know? And they would, they would, they would like, make everyone in the pick and pay that works there go and get, like, a haircut and get makeup put on and all this stuff just for the queen and the owner of the pick and pay like she you know she would stand there and like with her trolley and and like driving a little trolley around and you know when you go into the tomato aisle and, and the vegetables and and you like you get the tomatoes and you put it in a bag and you're like looking for the person to weigh it you know and it's like they're nowhere to be found and you try and work out the machine yourself <laughs> and the queen wouldn't have that problem like the owner of the pick and pay would be standing there waiting, and he would be trying to figure out how the machine works. And, and even in the till, I'm sure, like, the owner of Pick and Pay would, like, sit there, and he'd be, like, cashing her up, and there'd be, like, people, yeah, there'd be, like, people selling tickets to, like, you get to, you know, uh, be the cashier at the Pick and Pay for the queen. Like, she, her life is so different. It's completely it's different from any like idea of normality that we have and she's lived that way her whole life okay and i wanted to talk to you what does that look like when okay so that's the queen goes to pick and pay what does it look like when god goes to pick and pay like wow like the pick and pay like disintegrates you know it doesn't exist anymore so there's um, yeah, I wanted to just talk about that briefly. So, not God going to the pick and pay, but... Uh, <laughs> okay, let's get back on track here. 
Okay, so if you have um, your Bibles or any kind of thing to read the Bible with, if you turn to Exodus chapter 3, um, yeah, and I'm just going to pray for us as well. Lord, I just want to thank you, God. You're, you are incredible. Father, would you come and do something, Holy Spirit, that only you can do today? Lord, we want to, your God, we want to see you. We want to see you, Lord. We don't want to just hear words, God. We want to be changed by you, by your very presence, Lord. And I pray for that, Holy Spirit, that you would do that individually today, that people would meet with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Exodus 3. So just a bit of a backstory. Moses, um, prince of, like he's also, he was uh, like in the royal courts, you know, he also didn't have a normal life. He was um, born in like the Pharaoh's courts in Egypt. He was like a prince of Egypt, you know, mind the pun with that movie title, Prince of Egypt. Um, great movie, by the way. So he, that's how he grew up until 40. And then what happened was he murdered an Egyptian guy because the Egyptian guy was oppressing one of the Jews. And Moses, it, like, from the time that he was, he was born, the Bible tells us about how Moses was born. It tells us how he grew up. And I love that. I love how it doesn't just start off when God calls him and, like, okay, now he pops into existence. You know, but it's, like, from the time that he's born and the way he was raised, God tells us the backstory. So, and then Moses, like, murders this man. And then he disappears for 40 years. He's like wandering around the deserts and he's like nowhere. He's just, just kind of like a vapor wandering around the deserts. Okay. And he's taking care of sheep, but they're not even his own sheep. He doesn't even have his own sheep. Okay. Which was like a, the basic thing of that time is like, like having a car, you know, it's like he was, it was like he was driving someone else's car. So that's what happened. He was busy shepherding his father-in-law's uh, sheep, and then something so crazy happened. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read this. Um, so Exodus 3, verse 2. Okay. So Moses is walking around in the desert, and, and this happens. And the angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So Moses, he looks and beholds, and the bush was burning with fire, but the bush wasn't consumed. Then Moses said, oh, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. I'm sure you probably said that aloud because you see like a burning bush. It's like, whoa, okay. So when the Lord saw that uh, he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And like, I was so tempted to literally just camp on the scripture, like for the rest of 
the time that we're going to spend together, like just these four lines, but there is more. And um, yeah, we're going to go through this slowly. I want to ask you, who's never read this portion of Scripture before? Like who's, you've never, and don't be ashamed, there's plenty of stuff in the Bible that I'm like, I read and I'm like, whoa, I've never read, you know? So um, yeah, if, has everyone read this? Okay, praise God. So your mind is going to get blown today. Okay, <laughs> that's perfect. Okay, so first thing, we're going to go through this very slowly. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. The angel of the Lord. When you see the angel of the Lord in the Bible, you know things are about to get really weird, okay? So it's not just an angel. This is very, very special. I'm not going to go too deep into this, but this is what's called a Christophany, okay? It's like Jesus appearing before Jesus walked on the earth and appeared, because the angel of the Lord here, you start seeing weird things. It's in Gideon as well. It's all over the word. Um, it says here, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, wasn't consumed. And then it says, and then God spoke to him from the bush. And you're like, okay, was God speaking or was an angel speaking? Like what's, I don't understand. Why is it so confusing? This happens all the time in the Bible when you see the angel of the Lord. And it's very, it's done there for a purpose, for a reason. Because the angel of the Lord is a picture of Jesus. Jesus Christ, okay. So that's the first thing. The angel of the Lord appears to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush. Okay, so that word, bush. Okay, check this out. In Hebrew, Leroy, this is for you, okay. Uh, Leroy loves Greek and Hebrew words. He goes deep into these things. We have these long conversations about this. So in Hebrew, that word bush is the word senna, okay? It means to prick, like, like prick or poke. And they use that for the, the word thorn. So this is a thorn bush. It's not just any bush. It's a thorn bush, okay? Can you go to Genesis quickly? Okay, so I want you to check this out. I found this out yesterday, and it like blew my mind. So check this out. So there's this thorn bush, and it's burning with fire. And the angel says, don't come any closer. The, or God says, don't come any closer, Moses. This is holy ground, okay? That's the first time the word holy is used in the Bible. And it's used by God himself, Okay. Let's go to Genesis 3, 17 to 18. So this is the curse. We all know this one quite well. It says here, And to the man, God says, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. So we see right there in Genesis, thorns. How did the thorns come about? Because of the curse. So God chooses a thorn bush to appear through in his glory. And Moses meets with God on a mountain. Do you know what that mountain's name was? Anyone want to guess? Mount Sinai. That word Sinai means thorn. 
It's the same word. It's just a little bit different from bush, okay? So let's fast forward. When Jesus was on the cross, what was on his head? A crown of thorns. I don't have to be a detective to see that there's something going on here, okay? <laughs> that the, the curse that was placed on the ground because of man was then placed on Jesus Christ. And Jesus died. So we've all read this before, right? Right? But the thing is, the Bible is incredible. It's completely incredible. Okay, we're going to carry on. We're going to carry on going. Because there's more. <laughs> okay, let's go back to Exodus 3. Uh, sorry, Exodus 3, 2. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. So, so he looked and behold, the bush was burning. So it's like this thorn bush, very special situation happening. Uh, bush wasn't consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside um, and see this great sight, why this bush doesn't burn. And when Jesus was on the cross, he died for the sin of the world. But he rose from the dead. He wasn't consumed. Okay? In Revelation, oh, sorry, in Romans 12, uh, verse 1, we're going to shoot through there quickly. It says, because of the great things, we're going to look, we're going to go into that. Because of the great things that God has done, you and me, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is your reasonable service. A living sacrifice, what a weird thing to say. Sacrifices are dead. But we are alive and yet dead as well. We are like that bush, burning with a fire of continual sacrifice and yet alive at the same time. Okay, so, okay, let's go back to Exodus 3. Uh, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. So I want you to picture this. There's this wild burning bush, green leaves and everything, and it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. There's probably not even smoke coming off it, but it's raging fire. And Moses stops and he looks at this and he's like, I'm going to go and take a look. This is very strange. Like, what the heck is going on here? So he goes closer and when he does that, God speaks through this bush. And God says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. God, the first things that he says out of that bush is he calls Moses by name. He's like, Moses, I know you. I know who you are. And I want to ask you today, God can literally, you can be sitting here and God can be calling each one of us by name and saying, I know you. You came here to meet with me. You're going to meet with me, but I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to send you. I'm going to do something here. Okay, God calls us by name. And he said, here I am. Then God says this, he says, stop, don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So, uh, Chloe, where's Chloe? There you are. 
So, you know, when we go, if you've ever been to uh, Dave and Chloe's house, I know you guys have repealed it now, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> but um, normally when, like before, so when you go to their house, there's like a rack with shoes, and you take your shoes off, you know, and put your shoes there to keep the house clean. It's like, it's actually a really wise thing. Ornella's like on the verge of implementing this as well. So, <coughs> yeah, so, <coughs> and um, it's such a picture of two things. The one is... God is saying to Moses, this is holy ground. You coming into my space now. You coming into where I reside. This wonderful place. I want you to take your shoes off and come to me like that. And also because there was probably poop on his shoes and all kinds of other stuff, you know. So it's like kind of impure. So, okay, come just barefoot, you know, because I'm clean and I'm pure. And the second thing is, the people that didn't wear shoes in that time were servants. The people that were the lowest on the rung, that they, they couldn't even afford shoes. They didn't have shoes. And God is saying to Moses, I want you to come to me. Not just look, there's a burning bush. Oh, just put your hand in. That was the one thing, the prince of Egypt, where he was like, he puts his hand in. And I'm like, no, dude, you're not going to put your hand in the fire. Anyways, so, um, <laughs> like, so he, like... You know, you won't just come to this burning bush and like, whoa, what is this? Ooh, you know, start playing with it. No, this is God. Like the creator of heavens and earth is here. So it's like it demands kind of this humbling, this humility. And yo, there's a lot of stuff in here. So, okay, we're going to keep going. Here I am, draw near to this place. Take your sandals of your feet. And then he says... Um, he starts saying who he is. You know, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Moses hides his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So Ian shared this just, I mean, he shared it now, but I'm so glad that he did that. I, don't, I haven't given it to you, Courtney. Um, actually, I don't even have it written down. I'm just going to say it by memory. But Isaiah 6, verse 2. Isaiah is in the throne room of God. He's like, this is not a place where he should be. This is like not close to the burning bush. This is like if you were inside the burning bush and you're like, the flames are all around. You know, this is like Isaiah has this vision. He's like, oh my word, I am not supposed to be here. And like the, God's robe is just fills the whole place. And there's like smoke and these crazy looking angels. Like, this is not the angel from the movies. These things are weird looking. They have like six wings. They're flying with two of their six wings, covering their feet. Another picture of that thing with the feet, okay? And then with the other two, they're covering their eyes. Now, I just want you to think of this, okay? Angels, those angels haven't sinned. They've never sinned, okay? And they can't look at God, and they, like Ian was saying, they're shouting at each other, holy, holy, holy. Those angels are holy. But they're like, no, you have no idea what holy is until you've been around God. He is holy. That is holy. And it's not even a moral purity. It's like God is so different and so set apart and unique and special and not anything like us. That angels that have never 
sinned in their whole lives can't look at him and they're shouting, holy, holy, holy. Okay? So Moses obviously covers his face and he's terrified. And then he says something so beautiful. Now you're like, man, this is actually frightening. Like, there is a being who is all-powerful. And he's not out there. He's able to come here, right here. Okay? What does he want to do? What is his heart? And here, the next thing, the reason why God meets with Moses is for this next sentence. He tells him this. And the Lord says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God is saying, Moses, the reason I've come to you and to meet with you is because I hear the cry of my people in Egypt. And I want them to be delivered. And I want to use you. And I want us to do this together. And I love, like I didn't realize, I didn't click until yesterday, this thing, Sinai, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. So Moses has been to Mount Sinai. He, he met with God there. And if you carry on reading, it says there that God says, go and tell my people, this is who I am, and tell them to come here to this mountain and worship me here. And then Moses goes in the whole, you know, the, the plagues and all that stuff, and he rallies all the people and he brings them to the mountain, and they don't want to meet with God. They're terrified. They're freaked out. The mountain is like, you can't, no one can touch this mountain because they'll die. Like, that's how severe it is. And Moses presses in, and he presses in, and he keeps going, and he's like, until the point where he's like, God, show me your glory. I want to see your face, God. I want to, like, I've tasted something that this world, like, could never give me, never, and I can't get enough. I just want more of you. I want to know you. To the point where Moses isn't stupid. He knows that if he sees God, he's going to die. But he's like, I don't care. I want to see God. Okay? And that's something so special. And it's not far away. It's accessible to us. Now, I want to change gears a little bit. And let's go. Okay, yeah. So let's to get there. So this is crazy. So <laughs> the garden. God is walking with people, human beings in the garden, having fellowship with them. And there's loads of plants and, and all that stuff. And remember when they got kicked out of the garden, there's that flaming sword, right? And then we see a flaming bush as well um, on the mountain. And then we're going to take a little, I'm going to try and crunch the Bible into like a few sentences. So they, this flaming bush where Moses meets God, okay, on this mountain, turns into a tent of meeting, okay? First, it turns into this fire goes and leads the people through the deserts. That same presence of God flame is now walking with the people through the deserts, which then becomes the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. God is like, listen, I want to meet with my people. They don't want to come up the mountain. I'm going to come to them. Moses, here's the instructions for the tabernacle. You're going to make this thing. I'm going to meet with you in this tent. Moses makes this tent. At the end of Deuteronomy, this is what happens. The glory of God comes into the tents, okay? Moses now is meeting with God, not on a mountaintop in Sinai, 
but inside a tent which is on the move. Okay, now we fast forward. This tent becomes a, like a temple. God says, I'm going to build, build me a temple. When, when Solomon, in, in Chronicles, when he finishes the temple, he's like, this is the most beautiful temple that has ever been built. It's incredible. It's, so there's just gold everywhere. Everywhere there is gold, okay? And silver and precious things and gems. It's incredible. Nothing like this has ever been on the earth. Solomon stands outside the temple and he's like, God, heaven can't contain you. And the heavens of heaven, like, what can I build? You can't live in a house. Like, what am I going to build for the creator of heaven and earth that can dwell him? He's like, the only thing that this temple can do is offer sacrifices to God. This is a place where we can sacrifice to God. That's it. Okay? The temple gets, now we fast forward, Babylon invasion, temple gets destroyed. We go into the book of Haggai. And they re, they're busy rebuilding the temple after the, the exodus, uh, after Babylon. They come out, and God is like, okay, hey, cool. Now I want you guys to go back, go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. And they rebuild this temple, and they're like, man, this thing is not as good as what we remember with, with Solomon. Like, oh, man. And then a prophet says to them, the glory of the latter will be greater than the former. The temple that's coming is nothing like the temple that was. And then there's 400 years of silence. Okay? God doesn't speak anymore. There's nothing going on. And then Jesus comes. And he's born into this world. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you what practical holiness looks like. And that's Jesus Christ. Um, let's go to Matthew 9. So, Jesus was walking along. So, he sees a man named Matthew sitting at his tax, tax collector's booth. And he says, follow me and be my disciple. I just want to pause there quickly. So, yesterday I was doing a bunch of research on tax collectors in Jesus' time. And they were like literally like the worst. It was as if you had seen someone that is just hijacked someone walking past like that was a tax collector they were literally equal to robbers for the rabbis these guys were equal to robbers they were sellouts um rome had invaded and now they were like taxing the people completely unjustly like you could be taxed here walk up the road and another tax collector grabs hold of you and he taxes you again for something that you were just taxed for and what they could do is they could say like oh there's a uh, this chair uh, like the chair's actual value is 100 rand. I'm a tax collector. I'm going to tell you, no, no, this chair is worth 1,000 rand. And I'm going to tax you on what I assess the value to be, not on what its legitimate value is. So, and then they would just pocket the, the money. So they were like the scum of the earth, like the worst, okay? So Jesus comes and he's like, picks the worst guy for the job, okay, to follow God. A tax collector, okay? And he says this, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up, followed him. Later, Matthew invites Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love how it just clumps it together, like just disreputable sinners, you know? But when the Pharisees saw this, I know the Pharisees get such a bad rap, and understandably, but... These were like 
the good guys in that time. They were like, these are like the holy guys, you know. People looked up to the Pharisees. They were like, oh man, we want to be like that. Like they were holy and they were pure and they were like doing all the right things, all the good things on the outside. They looked good, okay. So Pharisee saw this and he asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Like, wow. Your New Living Translation, hey? Okay. (laughs) When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now listen very carefully. Go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to have, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come Not to those who think they are righteous, but to those who know they are sinners. And this weighs so heavy on my heart. Like, I was praying for this time. And there's so many things that we can talk about when it comes to sin. But I felt like the Lord wanted to talk to us about this. Um, The one thing that can actually block us from God's presence and stop us is self-righteousness is thinking that I'm okay, thinking that I'm a good person, that everything is okay, you know, I'm, I'm doing good, I'm doing all the right things, and that is like, I just want to read this piece about mercy, so it says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, when you share the gospel with someone, okay, in God's eyes, what you're busy doing is you're showing mercy to that person. You're giving them mercy. They're already under judgment. They're already on the way to stand in front of an eternal God, guilty and deserving of condemnation. You're showing that person mercy. If you're asking someone to sacrifice without giving them Jesus, without giving them something to sacrifice for, You're not sharing the gospel with them. And this is the danger of sharing the gospel, is that you put laws and you put things on people, not knowing where they're at, not knowing who they are, what they're going through, what they've been through. God says he wants us to ponder this. Think about this. He requests that we would show mercy rather than sacrifice. You know, what happened with Jonathan Conrath was incredible. That evening... We were in the car on the way back with an Uber. Gordon was sitting in the front seat, and Ornella and I were in the back seat. The driver is a Somalian guy, and I don't think that that driver knew what he was in store for. Yeah, because we're coming back from an evangelist equip, okay? So, so we, I'm just like trying to start conversation. This guy knows almost no English. Like, it was so hard. It was so tough. Um, and But Jonathan was like, hey, there's this thing called... God tools. So while he was saying that, I was like downloading it. Now I'm sitting in the back seat and I can hear, I can feel the vibe in the car with all the Christians. It's like, this is what, this, this is sent from the Lord. This is meant to be, this guy here. So I can feel uh, Gordon is like, you know, he's like throwing the bait. He's like, oh, praise the Lord and, you know, God and Jesus. And that was amazing. And I can feel the spiritual, the spiritual atmosphere, you know. I'm in the back seat. I'm trying to find the Arabic version of God tools, the gospel, and it's just like loading, loading. It's not working. I'm trying to carry on to the small talk with this guy. We stop outside Gordon's place. 
Gordon's like, yo, you know, can I, can I just pray for you? Can I pray for you? The guy's like, yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, okay. So Gordon prays beautiful prayer of blessing over this guy. And he's like, cool. God bless you guys. Cheers, whatever. Gets out. The guy's like, man, that guy, he must be a sheik, like a Muslim version of a priest, you know? Like, and then we drive to our place. And I'm like, yeah, yeah can, can I just, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? So I pray for him as well. And I'm like, I'm trying to share the gospel, but he doesn't understand English. He's been here for a year. You know, he's like full on Arabic. And um, so and I'm trying to talk about Jesus and it was just, so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pray for him. So I pray for him. So afterwards, he's just like, man, this has been the best day of my life. And he's like, I'm going to sleep so well tonight. And I was just like, man, you know, we can sometimes think that people don't want to hear about Jesus, that they don't want God. But there's this deep cry inside a human being for the eternal. And they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what, what they're actually, what they're missing. And we have that. Okay? And this is the thing. God is incredibly holy. But that isn't, it shouldn't be something that is super scary. It should be something that is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's like something worth giving up everything for to get to know this incredible God who for the rest of eternity you're going to carry on getting to know him and you will never truly say that you can say that you know God because he is infinite and he's holy. Okay. So, okay. Then I wanted to read this for you. Oh, man, I just, like, I picked up this book. It was called something about Consuming Fire by a guy named Brian Brodinson. Brodinson, I've never read the book. Uh, it's in my bookshelf. It's, like, really small. I should read it. Uh, I turned the back over, and there was a verse there from Isaiah. And I was like, this is amazing. So I put it inside here for you. Uh, Isaiah 57, verse 15. <laughs> it says, um, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the Holy One, says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirits of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. And now, just before we talk about, like, us submitting our bodies as a living sacrifice and our holiness, before we go there, the prequel to that is this. Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Um, sorry, that's very quick. Can you, if you could put that up? Okay. You're, you're very quick. Okay. Um, it says this. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? Who has given God so much that God needs to pay it back? Like, what? Okay. For everything comes from him. And exists by his power and is intended for his glory. 
all glory to him forever. Amen. And then it says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let, he, let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. That song we were singing, How Great Is Our God, that blows my mind. That song is literally one big question. I want to ask you, how great is your God? You can't answer that. So they just put it in a, in a song. How great is our God? We're just going to keep asking the question. Because no one can answer that question. God is, as great as you say he is, he's better than that. As loving as you say that God is, he's more loving. As wonderful and beautiful as you think he is, he's like immeasurably more beautiful and wonderful. You can never get to the end of the depths of the majesty and the splendor and who God is, the incredibleness of who God is. Okay, so this is the, okay, this is pretty much the last thing. Yeah, okay, this is, oh, this is the last thing. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, what, how do we get to this holiness? What, how do we get there? Okay, God, you're holy, you said I must be holy because you're holy, you said, this is holy ground. I should take my sandals off and come because you're holy. And I get that. Okay, you're completely different. You're calling me to be different. How? God, how? Okay, this is how. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I love this next sentence. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The fear of God is the door to holiness. It's how holiness is made perfect. The Bible says that Jesus Christ delighted. It was his great joy, the fear of God. That, and I love this. The other day I was watching this message. This guy was talking about what is the fear of God? Is it like God is terrifying, you know, like crazy scary? Like, no. He was like, if, when you, if you ever stand on the Grand Canyon or you stand on Table Mountain and you look out at everything and it takes your breath away and you stand in awe, or if you've ever been to the Karoo and you look at the, at the stars at, at, in, in the sky, you are like, I can't say anything. Uh, like, this is incredible. He described it this way. That awe is like when something fills the whole view of your life. Like the whole, the whole front of your car's windscreen is filled with one thing. Like if your life is filled with God, the view of God, your response is a fear of God. The natural thing for you to do is what Moses did, is cover your face. You're like, I shouldn't be here. Or like Isaiah, like, whoa, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, you know. I shouldn't be here. This is incredible. And yet God comes right there. And he's like, yes, I want you to experience who I am. This is who I am. And you get to do this for all eternity. And it's never going to become normal. It's never going to become comfortable. And today, I want to ask you this thing. Self-righteousness is what stands in the way of that. It stands in the way of the fear of God. It stands in the way of the awe 
and the splendor of who God is. Me saying I'm a good person. Me saying I've done the right things today. I've, you know, I read the Bible today. I did my devotions, whatever. Okay. If there's any bit of self-righteousness, if there's any bit of thing of like, man, I deserve it. I deserve this. I'm going to ask you today, don't leave this place with that. The secret to hunger, a hunger for Jesus, is seeing who you are and who he is. That you can't, you can't get to him. doesn't matter how high you climb, you'll never get to God. You are completely dependent. You're desperately dependent on God. Every moment of his love. If you don't think that you're dependent, look at what happened this week. Lucas had a second heart attack and he recovered. The queen died. She passed away. Like, you literally feel heartbeats. You feel a breath coming in and out. Every breath, you didn't make it happen. God gave it to you. Every heartbeat is literally, this is a gift from God. Every moment. You are so dependent on God. You are desperately dependent on God. You can't bring anything to the table of yourself and God doesn't want you to. He actually wants you to take those things off. All the things that you think that you can bring to God, he doesn't want you. He wants you to take, strip that off like dirty sandals. Put that aside and say to him, God, I'm going to come to you. I'm just going to come to receive, Lord, of who you are. And when you do that, you won't even have to think about holiness. Because when you're in God's presence, he will make you holy. He will change you. After that, this old man, 80-year-old man, okay, he led people through the desert for 40 years, millions of people. He saw God do crazy miracles, part the Red Sea. He went against a pharaoh of Egypt with a hordes of armies after he met with God and he experienced who God was. When you experience that, you will be a different kind of person. Leroy and I were talking, last thing, we're going to close on this. We were talking about this today. There's a movie called, uh, what is it called, Leroy? The Frontier. The Frontier. These guys are doctors. They have, like, bought a one-way ticket to Iran and Iraq. They're Christians to go and literally give their lives up and spend the rest of their lives with people that are not Christians, that aren't saved, that can't speak English, and just to serve these people because of who Jesus is. They've given their life. I can say I've given my life, but when you've done that, you've literally given your life. You've like, okay, my life doesn't belong to me anymore. I'm a living sacrifice now. All of this is Jesus. It belongs to him for his purpose because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. And if there's something inside you, I want to ask this today. If there's something inside you where you're like, man, I'm feeling dry. Man, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm bored with my Christianity. Or God is boring. Or like, bring that to Jesus today. Those are the sandals on your feet. Your own goodness. Bring them to him today and put them on the side. And come and be like, God, I want you. Just want you, God, I want you. Even Paul did this. He said all the good things. <laughs> I willingly call them rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, who he is. And there's a very big reason why we're so close, and I don't think it's an accident, so close to the parking lot, is that once you taste Jesus, really taste and see that he's good, and you understand that the gospel is mercy to the unsaved. 
It's a gift of mercy that you're giving them. Man, I pray that this would wreck you. I pray that this would change you. Yeah, yeah, let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you. God, there's, there's even saying that there's no one like you is not, it's not even the right words, Lord. It's like you are literally in a category of your own. It's, yeah, we, we want to live in, live in awe. We want to live in awe of you, Jesus, for the rest of our lives. God, and I pray, Lord, I pray that no one would leave this building with a dry Christianity, Jesus, that you would change things, that you would do things, that you'd make us a consuming flame, Lord, that you'd make us living sacrifices, that you would come and burn in us like that, that temple. And, and um, just even thinking that the temple didn't leave, the Bible says that we are the temple. We are the temple of God. Our bodies are the temple of God. They're the meeting place with God himself, the Holy Spirit, living inside us. That people could meet with God when they meet with us. Lord, and I pray that each person here, that they could know that and experience that. And I pray that you would create a desperation, an obsession with you, Jesus, in this congregation, Lord. Something that only your spirit can do, Father. I pray that you do that today. In Jesus' name, Lord.